This is the Transcend Human Podcast, a weekly show where we learn what it means to rise above the human condition. We hope the conversation today is just what you need for the week ahead. Okay, okay. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. Great to be with you. Um, what are we looking at? July 18, 2022. Uh, great to be with you. Another beautiful, sunny Monday morning here in Southern California. And let's do a small bit of housekeeping before we get started. So I think last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, I can't remember. Um, I mentioned a series that I'm working on called Transcendent Deconstruction. Um, really looking forward to that. Um, I've had a chance to dive in. I've had a chance to uh, try to outline some different episodes. And just based on the number of episodes and the the amount of research and, and content I'm going to need to to work through for those, um, it's going to be a little bit, you know, it's not going to, I'm not going to be able to knock this out by next week or in a couple weeks. So, but like I said, it's an interesting topic that's really, really, really taking off right now. And it's something I thought we should talk about. So look for that coming later this year, or maybe in the next month or two. I don't, I don't know. We'll get it worked out. But really looking forward to that. Um, and then a couple caveats about today. So I recognize that there are probably going to be three groups of people uh, listening today. Number one, there's going to be some people who are super excited. They're going to be like, oh my word, yes, I can't get enough of Spiral Dynamics. And then there will be others who are like, oh, are you kidding me? Not this again. Why can't we just do some more feel-good episodes about things uh, that I'm interested in and, and talk through some fun stories? And then the last group probably don't even know what we're talking about. So, so let me explain it like this. Yes, the content today might get a little deep, but I think you can handle it. And don't worry, the podcast isn't going to become all about spiral dynamics. It just happens to be front of my mind right now, um, you know, based on the way the world is going, based on the things that have happened since uh, since the pandemic started and stuff like that. OK, so big deal to me right now. And I believe this is the interesting piece with Transcend Human. I believe it's a really powerful framework that actually runs parallel tracks with Transcend Human. So in other words, transcend human, you can just lay over the top of spiral dynamics and you can see the, the way that the two work off of each other. Um, it accurately describes various value systems, um, ones that we see within ourselves, ones that we see in the culture, and even value systems we see in business and organizations. So that said, uh, let's dive in with our minute of transparency. Uh, this week, I'm going to call it me and Maslow. So I can still remember the first time I heard the name Abraham Maslow and was introduced to some of his theories, uh, the biggest of which is his hierarchy of needs pyramid. And I'm pretty sure I was in college. Maybe it was when I was taking psychology 101 with the rest of the freshman class. But at that point, I don't even know that I fully grasped the significance until I worked my way into my MSW program. Because at that point, I really knew what I wanted to do with my life, right? 
Uh, so classes took on a whole new meaning. Instead of just learning stuff so that you could regurgitate it a week later on a test, you actually listened in class with a whole different kind of ear. Uh, it's different between hearing and listening, right? I can't remember what movie um, it was, but but they kept going back and forth between I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening, and the other person's like, but are you hearing me, right? So in freshman, like as a freshman in college, you hear things and you try to remember them. But as a graduate student, you listen, right? In an attempt to understand and incorporate these ideas into your worldview. Now, that may not be true for everyone, but it was definitely true for me. So it was probably the second time that I was introduced to Maslow that it really sunk in. And I think at some point in my life, I had lived a pretty sheltered life. Even though I was now 28 years old, I had grown up in a really small town in Wyoming, attended a boarding academy with 300 students in Lavox, Illinois, and then went to a small private college with around 3,000 students. All of these educational institutions were private Christian schools. So there had been a consistent brainwashing, if you will, uh, that was in place the majority of the time. Except for that one year, back in, uh, back in eighth grade, our little Christian school had shut down and I was forced to attend Powell Middle School. Now, this was a major shift for me. I got to take art classes. I got to take shop. I was introduced to tackle football in the public school setting. But unfortunately, my coach was also the science teacher. And for some reason, he had it out for Christians. So I was made fun of not only on the football field, but also in the classroom. As the coach walked through the principles of evolution, he literally used me as his proverbial punching bag, pointing out how dumb the creation theory was and how dumb you really had to be in order to believe in such things. Needless to say, I dropped football halfway through the season, and I had to do my best to avoid the coach for the rest of the year in the classroom. The next year, I was back at a Christian high school and back to the indoctrination that I was used to. So aside from that one glitch in eighth grade, my worldview was pretty one-sided, a sheltered view of the world from the Christian perspective. Until, of course, Maslow and other pioneers in the field of psychology and social psychology. But I think Maslow hit me the hardest for a couple of reasons. First, my worldview was highly spiritual, a very Bible-based approach to understanding the world around me, right? The ideas of God, Satan, sin, death, heaven, hell, eternal life, etc. All things that I still believe in, but things that did not allow for a broader, more mature view of the world. So Maslow, among others, provided my first glimpse into this new reality. Because they looked at the world through a different lens, right? The lens of science and psychology and even the evolution process. And the second reason that Maslow hit me really hard was because his hierarchy of needs was very simple. So he created this thing that was brilliant and yet very easy to understand. It changed my perspective on people, culture, and the fact that we're all in different places at different times. It gave me more compassion for people who were on the lower levels of the pyramid, people with more basic needs, if you will. And it suggested that I was only able to understand high-level concepts because of all of the previous needs that had been met for me. I had a level of privilege 
that many don't have. So just because I was able to be at the top and self-actualize didn't mean that everyone around me was able to do the same. Now, I know that there are more modern theories out there and much more complex ones as well. But for me, Maslow will always be my go-to, a solid foundation for the way that I now view the world around me. Today's topic, transcending spirals. Number one, spiral dynamics overview. Number two, spiral by spiral. Number three, nonlinear integration and your center of gravity. And we'll wrap things up with tier two consciousness. Number one, spiral dynamics overview. So like I said, Maslow's hierarchy of needs became very foundational to me. It provided the basics. But of course, there were others with more meat on their bones. To name a few, and these should be very familiar to those of you if you ever had to take a psychology class, either in high school or college, um, then you've probably heard of Piaget, Kohlberg, and Erickson. So Piaget came up with the stages of cognitive development. Kohlberg came up with the stages of moral development. And Erickson touched on the stages of psychosocial development. And again, there were many more than that. These are just three of the big ones. And each of these theories attempts to define the same thing, right? Each of these men wanted to explain what it meant for human beings to grow and mature, how we develop, the development process. But the interesting thing is that each of them just comes at it from a different angle. One of them believes that it's all based on the way we think. Another believes that all of these changes are due to changes in our morality. And the other believes that there is a highly social influence on the developmental process. So at the end of the day, after we've heard all of these different theories, we're kind of left um, asking two questions. First, which one is right for me? Like, is there one that I just completely believe in and I'm just going to believe in that one? Or if you believe that they're all valid, then what does that mean? Do I have to understand every single one of those theories in order to get a clear picture of human development? Well, if those are the only two options, I would definitely lean to the second because they all had something to say, something very good to say about development in the little niche area that they were interested in, right? Each took an interesting take on human development. And once you understand all of them, then you have a greater understanding of people in general. But there is another option. Because at that time, there were psychologists and theorists thinking the same thing. As I understand it, and this history might be a little muddy, but a man named Claire Graves um, came up with a theory called emergent cyclical theory which is very similar to something that Don Beck and Christopher Cowan were working on called spiral dynamics. Then in around 1990s, 1995-ish, Ken Wilbur jumped in with his take on things. Uh, His theory was called integral theory. And for a while, they all played nice together. But at some point, Cowan dropped out and he went back to following the more traditional Claire Graves model. And by 2005, Beck and Wilbur had actually split up a little bit and headed different directions as well. But Wilbur, to me, is really the one who's taken things to the nth degree. Now, Ken Wilbur believes in spiral dynamics, or these things called levels, right? Um, but he also has this other, these other theories that all kind of work together and 
the the easiest way to walk through them is through these things called aqualls or aqualls, and there's five of them. So aqual number one is what he calls the four quadrants. And so, you know, picture four quadrants, like a, a plus sign, and then you've got, you know, upper left, upper right, lower left, lower right. Um, so in the upper left quadrant, um, he calls this the individual or I. Right below it, the lower left is called inside the collective. So the group, a group of people, the culture. And he refers to this as we. Then in the upper right, it's the outside of the individual. And he refers to this as the it quadrant. And then there's the lower right below it, which is the outside version of the collective or the group. And he calls this the its quadrant. So he refers to these quadrants as I, we, it, and its. And we won't spend any time here because this gets pretty deep. Um, but that is a, a formula, if you will, that he came up with um, in which to describe people. Number two are the levels. So these are very similar to the levels <clears throat> that we'll walk through in spiral dynamics. Number three are these things called lines. So lines are capacities that are independent of the spirals and they travel through the levels. So he believes that there are three groups of lines, cognitive lines, self lines, and talent lines. And to just give you an example of what these are. So when you, when we talked about Piaget and his theory of cognitive development, that would actually be a line that fits within the cognitive group of lines. So what Wilbur is saying is that as we talk about spiral dynamics and we talk about these different levels that everybody is on, within those levels, two people could be at the same level, but on completely different lines when it comes to Piaget's theory of cognitive development. Now, I know it's getting a little deep, but we'll, we'll unpack some of this later. All right, number four are what he calls states. So states are temporary states of existence. So things like what mode you're in, whether you're awake, sleeping, dreaming, whether you're in meditation. Um, and in other quadrants, it may be things like brain states or the state of a culture or the weather um, in, the, in the lower right quadrant, I believe. And then number five, he calls these types. And there are a myriad of personality types that we see in the world. So every, everything from a person's Myers-Briggs um, type to the Enneagram to gender and body types to culture types, uh, things like that in other quadrants. So like I said, you know, these are the five um, chunks of content that Wilbur really focuses on in his theory. His, he calls them the five aqualls, and it's the four quadrants, the levels, the lines, the states, and the types. And lucky for you, we're not going to talk about all that today because it is incredibly deep. Um, we are simply focusing on the levels because that's really kind of the core piece that comes out of this thing called spiral dynamics. So as you can see, Wilbur's integral theory is extremely complex, like I said, and it attempts to basically suck in every other theory that's out there and make sense of all of them. And while I've almost wrapped my brain around what integral theory is, I keep coming back to the combined work of Beck and Wilbur, right? The levels, the spirals, these things that we 
uh, refer to the colors of spiral dynamics. And the most recent version of this is one that they collaborated on, and it was called Spiral Dynamics Integral. So that's really where I'm going to focus most of our time today. So when we leave here, I'm hoping that we have a much better understanding of each of these levels. Number two, spiral by spiral. So we've talked about the spirals before, right? This, <clears throat> this might be a little bit redundant for some of you, but just hang in there with me. We'll hit new content very soon. So Claire Graves gave us one of the original spirals, and uh, I use them a lot when I when I discuss spiral dynamics. But for this episode, I'm going to lean on a website called spiraldynamicsintegral.nl. Uh, it's a website from the Netherlands, and it does a really good job presenting the updated version of spiral dynamics. Now, according to this website, these are the three pillars of spiral dynamics integral. So pillar number one is what they call the value systems. So these are the, this is kind of the traditional spiral dynamics, the colors, which we're going to walk through. Number two is this thing called change dynamics. And this is something that I may do an entire episode on later because it's super interesting, but we won't talk about that here. And then the third pillar of spiral dynamics is integral theory. So this is where Ken Wilber's uh, contribution comes in, the five A quals, right? Definitely not something we're going to cover in detail today. But according to this website, these are the three pillars of spiral dynamics integral, the value systems, change dynamics, and integral theory by Ken Wilber. So let's dive into this value system thing by walking through a few statements about what they are, what they aren't, how they function, and how we're supposed to look at them. Again, we're talking about the various levels or colors that we talk about in spiral dynamics. So here we go. Value systems are sometimes called W memes or stages of consciousness or levels of consciousness, frames of reference phases, um, or worldviews. <clears throat> so these value systems are deep-seated motives, levels of existence, worldviews, modes of life, codes of behavior, or values that we live by in our culture or in our life. The value systems are fundamental systems of thought, motives, and instructions, which determine how we make a decision and how we set priorities in our lives. They are the codes of behavior and the modes of life for individuals and cultures. Now, very important, the value systems are the product of the interaction between someone's life conditions, someone's neurological capabilities or their ability to think, and its context. Value systems can manifest in healthy or in unhealthy ways. Spiral Dynamics Integral focuses on value systems within people, not people within value systems. So in other words, we should not use this content simply to label people or categorize people, right? Every person has a combination of different value systems. We're not all one color. We have different colors. The dominant value system determines our perspective on reality. This is, this is what's called uh, center of gravity, which we'll talk about more later. The underlying value system determines our personality. Now, value systems are in constant flux. They're dynamic with each other. 
In different situations and in different life conditions, we show different types of behavior. Value systems can be expressed in both a positive and negative manner. Next, the value systems developed in a very earlier stage form the basis of the more complex or later developed ones. So it is possible to skip an entire color, but it will not be successful in the long run. And finally, one value system is not better than or more valuable than another. They all reflect the way that we've adapted to our life conditions using our current capacities. Okay, that was a lot, but those are just some, you know, explanatory statements about the colors before we jump in. So we're almost ready to go, but before we do, here are three very important pieces of information about the colors or the spirals. So first, there are colors that are focused on the individual. So when we walk through them, things like beige, red, orange, and yellow are all colors that focus on the individual. And then there are colors that are highly focused on the collective or the community. Those are purple, blue, green, and turquoise. And there is a continuous state of interplay between these two types, which makes sense, right? Because we are people, but we are people who integrate or interact with other groups of people. Number two, the colors are separated into tiers. So we've talked about this before. There's tier one consciousness and tier two consciousness. Tier one is based on a scarcity mindset, a focus on immediate needs, the needs for me, for my friends, my family. It includes the first six colors, and it has to do with personal development, exploring yourself. Tier two consciousness comes after that. It's based on an abundance mindset. It's a much more cognitive focus on life, uh, focused on the continuity of the species. It's the last two colors that we're going to talk through, uh, and it's consciousness development, not personal development. It's exploring things that are outside of yourself rules about the universe or rules about how things work and how things are put together. And number three, finally, those involved in creating these value systems believe that there may be more than the eight listed, but they haven't really determined what the following would be, the the ones that happen after eight, because they haven't really shown themselves yet. Like there aren't people or cultures that actually embody those colors enough to where we can study them. Okay, that said, let's dive into each color or spiral. And I I figured we could do it this way, and it'll help explain things much better. So when we walk through each color, I'm going to walk through the essence of that color. Then I'm going to talk about what it looks like in my own personal life. Then we're going to look at what a culture looks like that's in that color. And finally, we're going to wrap it up by talking about a business or an organization that models that color. So four different pieces for each color. All right, here we go. So we start with beige or what's called the survival level. Very archaic. It's the most basic, right? It's the need for shelter, food, water, safety, things like that. Focus on very tangible material things that help you survive. So where this, how this works out for me, um, I can't look back on my life as an adult and see a picture of this at all. 
So I basically have to go all the way back to myself as an infant, which is very obvious, right? When you're young, um, the whole world centers around your basic needs. However, this isn't true for everyone, right? There are people literally living on the streets right now, homeless, full-grown adults, and beige is probably where their center of gravity is. So that's the personal. Number three, let's think culturally, right? Is there a culture where the entire focus of that culture is hunting or gathering or fishing, finding food and shelter in order to continue to live? People like the cavemen or tribes in the Amazon jungle perhaps are good examples of cultures that are still functioning in the beige color. And finally, when it comes to uh, a business or an organization, the best example I can come up with here would be a brand new startup, right? A company or an organization that hasn't grown up yet and it's having a really hard time even making ends meet, paying the bills. Maybe the the person starting the company is living paycheck to paycheck uh, or potentially having to rob Peter to pay Paul kind of thing, right? It probably feels very much like living in a beige situation. Number two is purple. And this, uh, this value set is called magic or magical. So recognizing that basic needs and survival needs have a supernatural influence or a force that's outside of our control. And the goal for the purple color is uh, security, right? It's being safe. It's appeasing the gods, if you will, that have this perceived control over the elements. Focus is on the immaterial, the intangible concepts like angels, demons, curses, voodoo, etc. Now, in my life, I can't really point to a phase or a period of time, uh, you know, when I when I spent a big chunk of time on these kinds of magical ideas. However, it is interesting to me that as kids, we kind of walk through the purple phase at a young age. We believe in Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, um, and even a very fantastical view of God himself, right? Which is probably the purple phase working through within us. Number three, in, in terms of culture, purple can be seen in cultures where there is a strong belief in mythical power. So cultures that have things like shaman or witch doctors, etc. Um, these are cultures that are highly purple. And then when it comes to um, either companies or organizations, the, the closest that I could really come to this section would be businesses that are highly superstitious, right? So let's say there's a business who has a CEO and, and he is very OCD, like believing that things have to be done in a very specific way in order for the success to come or the exact exact opposite, right? That if, that if one little thing is done incorrectly, it'll lead to failure. And this, this can be actually seen across the board from religious organizations to marketplace companies, um, you know, functioning with that purple mindset. Okay, let's move to red, which is the power color. So red is all about harnessing energy. It's very individual focused, egocentric, impulsive. The idea here is to seize power wherever possible, like strongest takes control, survival of the fittest, that sort of thing. Now, for me, when I look back on my life, I can definitely see this color. Um, there was a phase I went through in college <clears throat> or maybe shortly thereafter but I can still remember the anger that always seemed to be right under the surface, right? Things like road rage, um, 
fighting during athletic events, things like that, very testosterone driven. Uh, this whole caustic attitude of I'm right and you're not. Um, even when it came to my religious beliefs, I remember there were there were conversations I was in where I was just very adamant and and almost putting other people down, you know, because I held so strongly to my beliefs. Uh, culturally, this looks a lot like countries with dictators, right? Strong, relentless leaders who have risen to power by crushing the opposition. Um, typically ruling with an iron hand, with an attempt to control people, like just under my thumb kind of um, rule. And then the last one, so this one's super easy for me. Um, I worked at a church recently where the leadership literally was red. All They were all red. The staff culture was terrible. Most of us were living in fear of being let go or even of being shamed in front of other staff members. It was not a good environment. And you know, there was, there was nothing good enough. You couldn't do your job good enough. And the other piece to it too is, is this concept of change. It wasn't change at like a normal uh, pace of change. It was constant change, change for change's sake, which led to a very unstable place to work. Okay, next up is blue. Blue is called the tradition color. So the move more toward we or us in the culture, authoritarianism, holiness, and meaning, groups of people connected by tradition, rituals, and a shared story. Rules and expectations play a big role in keeping the desired culture in place and keeping people from straying from the agreed upon norms. So this is an interesting one. Um, in my life, I can see this at various points. Um, and for fairly big chunks of time, and most of it all centered around being a Christian. This is the value um, set or the tradition that I was raised in. It was very rigid, a lot of personal rules and expectations and lifestyles, um, but it also meant that I was part of a larger group, which described those rules and expectations. So this led to times when I was very condescending, judgmental. Like I said, I became kind of narcissistic about it. And the crazy thing is, you know, this basically leads to and has a direct impact on how you vote. Regardless of how you feel about the person, you're usually voting in a very specific way because you're part of that Christian tradition. Now, culturally, this is us, right? The United States as a country is a highly Christian nation, meaning that a very large segment of the population believes in the blue value system. Now, this isn't the government I'm talking about. This is just the general population. But then throw in the government, and we definitely swing back and forth between what I would consider blue and orange, which we'll talk about in a minute. So when there's a Republican president, we get even more blue. But when a Democrat is elected, we often feel a little more orange. We'll talk more about that later. Um, and then finally, when it comes to businesses or organizations, the military is really the, the perfect example of how blue functions best. So there's a very defined hierarchy, an organizational structure, a set of expectations. Uh, they have credos, they have value sets that must be followed. Indoctrination is not subtle, right? It's a forced process during boot camp. Um, a Marine, for example, understands and lives by this phrase, God, country, core. Um, things like that, where it's just, it's highly, um, 
regimented and people fit into that and it maintains the culture or the structure that they desire. All right, let's move to orange, which is considered modern. So this is the move from tradition to proof, scientific method, rigorous examination of truth and facts, the use of capitalism to solve problems, but also to game the system using logic and pragmatism to make decisions over faith or handed down beliefs or traditions. So this one is very interesting to me as an individual when I look back on my life because I'm still a Christian and I haven't moved completely away from that to the scientific community where God is usually kind of thrown out with the bathwater. Um, but at the same time, I would say that I have deconstructed many of my original traditional religious beliefs over the years and incorporated a much more scientific or psychological approach to my faith. Number three, cultural. So I think the, the best example of this in culture is Europe, right? It's a shining example of a, a country or a region that had been religious for many, many, many decades, right? The, the culture was highly religious but it was religious and led by a very heavy-handed religio-political leader or leaders. And at some point, they the people there had enough, right? Europe today is a very non-religious part of the world. Many still claim to be Christian, but the percentage of non-practicing Christians and the, what, what's called religiously unaffiliated is massive. And when you look at the numbers for these groups, non-practicing or religiously unaffiliated, um, you know, it's extremely high, 68% in Austria, 78% in the UK, and around 90% uh, in Finland. But don't for a minute think that this is strange, because the United States is just slightly behind Europe in its progression. It won't be long, and the US will have numbers that are very similar to those. All right, and let's wrap things up with the organization or company. So I would say that the American megachurch is really the perfect example of an organization that functions in the orange value set. Now, this is very strange, right? Because it's a church. So you would think that we would be talking about the blue that we had just talked about. But when you really peel back the layers and see what's uh, driving these organizations, you realize that blue is simply the narrative being used on the weekends. The modern megachurch functions 100% as a business. Decisions are made based on ROI, attendance numbers, um, how to get more butts in the seats, not because people are being converted or changed. That's just a nice little byproduct that you can challenge people with. Um, but really, it's because each butt in the seat is a potential donation to the cause, right? And numbers show success. These churches uh, kind of use a modified form of capitalism in order to drive interest as well as their profits. Next up, we have green, which is called pluralism. So the essence here is it's basically a new focus on community, other cultures, social justice, sensitivity, compassion, celebration of diversity, uh, the environmentalism movement, animal rights movements, things like that. It's an explosion of truth regarding acceptance and inclusion with the unfortunate side effect of becoming just like the blue community on some level 
very demanding and very exclusive. And if people don't think like you, they should be canceled. So this is kind of where the whole cancel culture thing comes from. So for me, like when I look back on my life, I feel like I've probably always had a little bit of green in me. But like we discussed, if you haven't worked through each subordinate color, you can't really access the full potential of a higher color. And in this case, uh, I would say that that's true for me with green because I struggled through blue for so long in my life that I probably wasn't able to express a pure version of green. It was always tainted with the blue that was my center of gravity. However, once working through blue and orange for a while, green became that much clearer and I was able to appreciate it on a whole new level. Now, number three, cultural. So this is kind of a a phase in our history. Like when you look back at the 1960s in our country, you had the social reform, social justice, civil rights movements, all of these birthed out of an explosion of truth about human value and inclusivity. And the interesting part for me is this. Um, I feel like it was a little out of order, right? Similar to the way it was for me. Our country seems to be in a battle between Republican blue and Democrat orange, almost like we made an attempt at green, but it just didn't take. And who knows, maybe like me, we'll eventually get there. Number four, um, organizations and companies. So I think that environmental groups are probably a great example of green. So at the heart of each movement, there's this belief in something good, right? A clean earth where trees aren't cut down for paper products. Pollution isn't pumped into the oceans where we're not using plastic anymore because it just doesn't biodegrade and it causes problems, right? There's this strong belief in human-induced climate change and that we should work together to combat this, right? And all of this work is being done to change those behavior problems on the part of our citizenry, on the part of the government, large industrial corporations, all of those things. However, some of these groups are a huge proponent of the cancel culture, tearing people down with little to no regard for the other person. And in the past, groups like this have even gone as far as to bomb vehicles or bomb buildings that are associated with their adversaries. So that's not green, right? Like when you really look at the true essence of what green is, that behavior isn't green, but yet it's very easy when you, when you give yourself over to it completely, how you can actually pull in other colors like red in order to get your point across. All right, next we have yellow. So now we've moved from tier one consciousness to tier two consciousness. And I'm just going to talk about yellow and turquoise really quick because our last segment of this episode is going to touch on them a little bit deeper. So yellow is referred to as integral. So its essence is a focus on synergy, systematic, integral, emergent, um, a new understanding of the other spirals before it, right? Understanding that you have all of the colors within you, the ability to meet others right where they're at, and the ability to see the good and the bad of each color before putting one above the other. Now, for me personally, um, I don't really feel enlightened enough to be at this level. But on the other hand, these are literally the thoughts that I've been having for the past two years. Ever since I started recording the Transcend Human podcast, in 2020, um, 
COVID, I would say, dismantled our world. This country exploded with racial tension, political tension, supply chain issues, rising cost of living, and just a general instability that's unnerving. But through all of that, um, it's amazing to me how I've started to view people differently in that they're simply thinking and behaving based on the value sets that they're the most comfortable with, their center of gravity. A good example of this was the whole Roe v. Wade thing when it was overturned. Instead of being angry and bashing one side or the other, my mind was busy working hard to see both sides and try to understand the ideological paths that people were on on each side. I look back to see how I might have responded at various times in my life, and I realized that I've been pretty polarizing myself at times. So I'm not 100% sure that this is my center of gravity, that it's yellow, but I do feel very comfortable here right now. Now, culturally, uh, I'm not really sure if there is a good example. When I, when I think about all of the countries and the governments in the world, I don't see this put into action in an obvious way. However, the website that I got this content from suggests that this may be more of a cultural thing within a society, a movement, if you will, small groups of people moving toward this new level of consciousness. And it might be a fair amount of time before there is a tipping point that would literally influence the entire country or society. And the same thing with businesses or organizations. This is a really hard one because there may be some companies out there who are attempting to adhere to a yellow value system. But my guess is that it isn't the company. It's more a CEO or a core leadership team that is trying to adhere to a yellow mindset. And finally, we have turquoise, which is whole view. So this is a new holistic view of the world, global reach with focus on renewal, uh, views the world as a grid of mutually in interdependent units working together to form one holistic organism, a dynamic balance between being and becoming, spiritual intelligence, the ability to be present, simply resting in the concept of being or existing. Now, for me, I see glimpses of this, right? Typically after being in nature or reading or watching something that focuses on transcendent themes, but I would say I'm in no way turquoise. And in order to fully connect with that value system, I feel like I would literally need to sell everything, become a monk, and spend large amounts of time in contemplative silence. And then when it comes to cultures, countries, or businesses, or organizations, <clears throat> I mean, I don't, I don't really even know how to describe this. So so we'll just leave this one as is, but know that, you know, there may be countries or there may be companies that have this, um, this within them. It's, it's just nowhere near as obvious as some of the other colors. So that's it. Um, that's the bulk of the colors kind of based on the original model. Number three, nonlinear integration and your center of gravity. So these, these are some concepts that are both difficult to grasp and yet essential when we're talking about spiral dynamics. So a very important piece of the puzzle is this whole concept of nonlinear integration. And the, the concept here is that the eight colors that we just walked through are not a, a highly linear progression, even though we so badly want them to be, right? Our minds are so good with that. We take things one step at a time. We learn something new. We master it. Then we move on to the next. Um, 
but we came by this honestly, right? This is this is how we were educated. You went to first grade, you learned all the stuff, then you graduated to second grade, and you never had to go back to first grade again. But that's not how it works with spiral dynamics. You don't master one and then move on to the next, leaving the previous color completely behind. We have bits and pieces of various colors within us, and we may even have a general sense of a color that is beyond our comprehension, but we can only fully access that color in the future if it's been fully integrated. So for example, as people move through beige, purple, red, and blue, each color is integrated slowly and is then accessible to the person at any point. If a person has integrated every color all the way up to green, they are now able to move back and forth as needed, pulling the good from the other colors along the way. And then there's this whole idea of center of gravity. So the the idea here is that you tend to be in a sweet spot at any given time. And it's partly the color where you um, find yourself stuck. I guess is a good explanation. You kind of find yourself stuck in this spot. And there's really two reasons why this is. First, maybe you're very comfortable there and you don't really want to do the hard work to integrate another color. So you find yourself stuck because of the comfort level. But the other option is that you find yourself stuck because that color is kicking your butt. It's literally all you can think about and you have a deep sense of discontentment about the things that are related to that color. Either way, this is probably your center of gravity. Number four, tier two consciousness. So to wrap things up, I thought it'd be interesting just to touch on the tier two colors, right? Because in reality, this is really not the playground for the average person. Most people, at least in this country, live in tier one, in the blue, orange, or green spirals. These people have the following qualities, a strong sense of the self, right? It's ego that's driving them. The focus is still very much on having or not having, how you behave, how others behave, right? A blue will see the world through the lens of tradition or potentially religion and a shared mutual story about a common belief system. Someone in the orange will view the world through the lens of science, analysis, and the ideas of capitalism. And a green will view the world in terms of the humanity, the people, social justice, global community, things like that. So you can probably see how we are functioning in this country today with these three groups. These three groups are highly represented. Now, you could also make the claim that there's some pretty strong red in there as well. Um, But again, this is the range of, um, of worldviews that we see in our country today. And then we move to tier two, right? And they say when when you move from tier one, so when you move from green to yellow, they call this transition the glass ceiling because there seems to be this barrier between the two, right? Between tier one and tier two consciousness. You can see through it. So like, like I was saying, I felt like at times I was thinking about concepts in yellow or in turquoise. So you can see through it And you can start to grasp some of the ideas, but then when you get there and try to fully break through, you realize there's a hard surface. You can't can't easily move from green to yellow. 
But when you do, when you finally break through from green into yellow, it's a whole new world. The world becomes much more interesting. The problem is that people can easily get stuck in yellow for a really long time. Years can be spent hypothesizing, learning, analyzing, because this is a very cognitive switch, right? So there's a massive amount of knowledge out there, way too much to even integrate into your life. Uh, the, an interesting thing I, I read in this uh, on this website is that yellow is the language of spiral dynamics, right? This is literally, you know, the, the people who put spiral dynamics together were living in that yellow world for most of their life. And then you throw in the internet and YouTube and social media. These are all perfect platforms for people who are moving toward yellow. But in this process, it's easy to feel alienated, right? You might lose friends at this point because they may not be ready to move to that level. So conversations may become difficult. If you start to feel like you no longer have things in common with those around you, it's probably because tier one people tend to find, oh yeah, yeah, this is a really interesting point. So in tier one, so this is everything from beige all the way up through uh, green, people tend to find a guru to follow. Then in tier two, you realize that you may be the guru. People may actually be looking to you as the guru. So yellow is, this is another interesting concept. Yellow is the beige of tier two. So just as beige was the entry point for tier one, kind of the lowest level entry level um, to those colors, so too yellow is the entry point for this new cognitive level tier two consciousness. So it's exciting, right? It's like you've entered a portal to a whole new world, a whole new way of thinking and experiencing the world around you. But at the same time, you haven't been fully awakened yet. That doesn't come until the next spiral, which is turquoise. So when you talk about turquoise, um, I did I did a little bit more research and I found a YouTube channel called Shores of Infinity. I put a link in the show notes. And in one of the videos, the guy, the guy does a really good job explaining turquoise. And he explains that less than 1% of the population is, is at this level. Is, is thinking in terms of turquoise. So it's very hard to find a culture or a society of people that are at this level of enlightenment. However, this is the true awakening point for tier two consciousness. So there's a decreased ego, a decreased sense of yourself. And in exchange, you start to view the world around you as this larger, more important reality than even you. And this idea that we're all part of it and we're all interconnected and you start to learn about intuition. You start to be able to tap into your intuition. Um, there's no sense of competition. You start to view life as it is without attempting to change it. There's usually a move to a more minimalistic lifestyle. You may lose interest in money or the, more importantly, the value of money. In other words, there's nothing wrong with money. You can have it. You cannot have it but it just doesn't really matter, right? Because there is no more value placed on money. Uh, you may spend a lot of time in observation or simply existing or being. 
It's a, it's a feeling of peace and harmony. And then he also goes the, to the next step and he says, you know, in the future beyond turquoise, there is coral and there is teal. And when he talked about coral, he called it the abyss, basically jumping off into nothingness, being totally open to everything and anything. And then teal, which basically he says he hasn't even scratched the surface on. Now, to me, coral and teal are simply speculation. There, there aren't any people or cultures or groups currently living this level of consciousness out. Even turquoise is a bit woo-woo for me, um, though there are people who believe and resonate with this value system. Now, a while ago, I presented this information, and then I turned it around and provided a Christian twist on it. If you're interested in that, you can go back and check out episode 118. I believe it was Transcending Woke Part 3. And I'm not going to walk through that here, but I do want to address an elephant that's probably standing in the room. Because as a Christian, Spiral Dynamics is a giant elephant standing in the middle of the room, right? Very jarring, to say the least. These are hardcore theories based on science, psychology, and other related fields of study. So it's very easy to want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in situations like this, right? There are things that I don't agree with, so I'm just going to throw the entire theory out the window. But that is a very blue thing to do. Stick with the traditional, the rigid story, the rules, the regulations. Don't step outside the box because it's dangerous out there. All that baggage. But what if I told you that it doesn't have to be either or? What if I tell you that it can be both and? This is actually the key to the concept of spiral dynamics, that we don't add new things and then throw out the old. We are in a constant state of integration, adding new things as we go. This is the way I have processed it, right? In my progression, I still believe that there is a very big part of me that's blue. It was a major part of my life. And I still hold on to that just in a slightly different way now than it was back then. I feel like, I guess if I were to look at what is my center of gravity right now, I would definitely lean more toward yellow, but the blue is still there as a guiding principle in my life. Now I know that at some point spiral dynamics will go off the rails for me because the theory itself was derived with a highly science based um, understanding of the world, a scientific worldview. That's like the motivating factor. And I don't believe that the concept of God and certainly not the God of Christianity was ever factored into the theory. In fact, my assumption is that the colors just keep getting added and added until you're so enlightened that you almost become your own version of God. So obviously my beliefs in God keep me from following spiral dynamics to its logical conclusion, but that doesn't mean that it isn't an amazing theory, the way that it describes people and the development process, all the way from survival to enlightenment. For me, this is the most intense, well-thought-out, and all-inclusive theory that I've come across. So let's land the plane. Uh, this week, I don't really have any questions for you. I'm sure you feel like you've been drinking from a fire hose, so I won't add one more thing for you to do. I guess what I would say is simply reflect on the things that we've talked about, or maybe go back and listen to it one more time. 
If you feel like my summary is way too elementary for you, check out some of the links in the references section at the bottom of the show notes. There will be plenty of content available to you if needed. So that's it. That's it for now. Thank you so much for sticking it out. I know this stuff gets a bit deep, but for me, this is just, it's so crazy to read through this entire theory and see how that applies to every person, every country, every culture, periods of time in history, uh, businesses, organizations. It's such an all-inclusive theory, and it just rocks my world every time I read it about it. Um, and for me, you know, having having this concept of transcend human and this this concept of rising above the human condition, um, I believe that spiral dynamics is a good theoretical explanation of the human condition. And so, in in essence, we're trying to transcend or rise above spiral dynamics. We're supposed to understand it, see how it affects us, see how it affects the world around us, and then choose to live at the highest possible level that we can live. And that's what it all comes down to for me. Until next time, everyone, have a great week. Keep on integrating. And as always, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. If you're interested in the show notes for this episode, head on over to transcendhuman.com forward slash podcast and navigate to the episode you're looking for. On the website, you'll also find blog posts, podcast series, and other helpful resources to help you navigate the Transcend Human ecosystem. You'll also find links to our social media channels, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to contact us at info at transcendhuman.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here on Monday morning.